Hey there, friends. It's your old pal, Eric Tyler, back with another episode of Nothing But The Truth, the podcast where I discuss my artistic endeavors over about half of my life because, well, I guess I'm just that damn vain. So we're coming up to the second record I ever did called Time Keeps Moving On. Uh, this record was problematic. I knew that I needed a different sound. Uh, I was I was trying so many different things to try to make this stand out from the people we know because I felt like, well... While I was proud of the achievement that I had made a record, I, I wasn't oblivious to the fact that it did sound juvenile and a little dinky at some points. So I was really trying to up the game, uh, proverbially, uh, to to impress people around me. And um, again, this was influenced by the fact that you know I had friends at radio stations and stuff. They were giving me a shot back in, in the first record, and so like I really wanted to come out swinging with this next one and try to try to really get some new sounds and. I had taken an interest in more pop music uh, in my life, and so one of those bands uh, that you could call pop or, you know, whatever you want to call them, uh, were Gorillaz. Gorillaz is, like, one of my most influential bands, uh, aside from Radiohead. And the Gorillaz made heavy use of old dinky keyboards, what people would call dinky, although I, I do not believe that's the case. Um, they have a charm to them, like early 90s Casio and Yamaha keyboards, um, like, especially with me, it was the Portasound series, and I think they call it the PSS, uh, and one of those keyboards that I adored was, I believe, the PSS 470, which made uh, its huge debut uh, in my sound on this record. And uh, so I think during this period of time, whenever I would let someone hear one of the tracks I was super proud of, and it had, you know, like the the old keyboard sound, I think a lot of people thought that I was using it because I thought it sounded like a real piano or it sounded like a real whatever drum kit, uh, which couldn't have been further from the truth. It was the aesthetic I wanted and I desired. And even to this day, uh, it, it, it bleeds over into some of the stuff that I'm doing now. Um, but so I feel like a lot of the times people saw this kid who was like 16, 17 and was playing with old Casio keyboards going, well, God, I, he's a poor kid. No, like, I really wanted that aesthetic. I grew up listening to pop music and like, well, that's that's what I wanted, you know. But enough about that. Uh, here on Nothing But The Truth, uh, we, we go uh, song by song and offer maybe a little bit of insight, but probably not into each of them. We try to keep it short and succinct uh, just simply because... Uh, I don't know. I just kind of like, like I've always said, we, we have no script here, uh, which is which is obvious. And we, we just kind of do things off the cuff because I just kind of wanted to explain, you know, what I've been doing for half my life. Um, why the hell not? Why the hell? Uh, why the hell wouldn't I? Anyway, anyway, um, let us delve into this right now. So one thing I should explain is that during this period of time, like I, I worked on what would become time keeps moving on for i i kid you not two or three years um and i was just i had so many ideas that i i had honest to god made about four albums worth of material and to this day i mean there's so many unreleased ideas and demos and things like that 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 will probably eventually see the light of day but i really had to hone it all in and create one solid or in 
at the time what I thought was a solid piece of work. And so that is what the challenge was with this record was not only a new sound and trying to to up the ante but it was just like trying to narrow down all these songs and i still have that issue today with the records i'm making and so eventually all that'll come to see the the, the light of day i suppose uh, in sort of a form of a rarity cd uh, that i'm working on but enough about that let us get into the meat of time keeps moving on So the first track on Time Keeps Moving On is Reentry, which is an instrumental piece. Uh, I wanted another intro song like I had on People We Know. Uh, and to hearken back to that sound, I also did beatboxing drums uh, on this track as well. Um, and I've always beatboxed ever since I was like old enough to know how to make drum noises with my mouth. It's still how sometimes I record demos, no joke. Um, <laughs> so yeah, maybe someday you'll hear that. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of embarrassing, but um, it's one of these things that I do when I'm bored or nervous, and I just kind of, you know, grew to love it. I also used a few electric guitars on this track, and I hadn't been using a lot of electric guitars before this point. And uh, one of the guitars that I was using on this record in particular was an old Epiphone SG uh, that my brother got to learn how to play guitar on. And uh, he eventually just kind of was he was like, hey, Eric, if you want to use this. And I was like, absolutely, I do, because I was influenced by Angus Young and his sound. Uh, ACDC were, were huge to me as well growing up. So uh, I listened to a lot of different music growing up. And that, I think that shows more on this record than it did on the people we know. I feel like this record was like the first point at which. I had found the sound I wanted and I was proud of. Um, the people we know, I think, was the sound of that record was because I was limited and I was also trying to maybe live up to other people's expectations of like what I should be playing. And uh, at the end of the day, I went, you make music that you want to listen to, my dude, and the right people will get there. So this record is where I actually took that to heart. Um but I also used a real bass on this track. Uh, I had more new. I had more instruments, more technology at, at this point, and uh, so one of those was a, a Fender jazz bass uh, that I got for one of my birthdays. I think I got it when I was in, uh, maybe sixteen, and um, I, I started using that on these tracks, and it gave it a more genuine sound that I was actually very proud of. And, and nothing sounds worse than an unintentional. <laughs> an unintentional synth bass that doesn't try to be synth it's trying to emulate a real uh, you know what i'm saying it, it, it nothing beats the real thing at the end of the day folks i mean i i'm not oblivious to that but when you're 16 and stuff like i said before you make do hell when you're 30 you make do sometimes too but that was re-entry not much to say about it just a short little track i thought sounded neat and i thought would actually uh set the tone for the rest of the record Just step back and leave me on my way. 
So the second track on the record is one that I was always very proud of when I wrote it. I still am proud of, of being able to accomplish it back then. And it's called I Try. And I had used finger picking for the first time on it. And I had learned the finger picking pattern. I think it was called Travis Picking from a DVD that I got at our local library. And they were teaching how to play Beatles songs, like Blackbird, I think, was the song I, I learned finally how to finger pick from uh, on that DVD. And I'm usually kind of against the whole, like, I don't know, guitar teacher teaching you things and all that. I never had lessons growing up. Everything, like I said in the other podcast, nobody taught me anything. Uh, but I was very proud of the sound I was able to achieve because, again, I was getting closer and closer to what I wanted to sound like. And so I believe at this point I had my Martin DX1, which is one of my all-time favorite guitars, if not my favorite guitar I've ever owned. Uh, when I got that when I was like 16, I believe, 15 or 16. The 15 and 16 were big, big years for me in terms of music, if you can't tell. But um, I was very proud of the sound. And as far as what it's about... Um, Part of, well, it's about, um, the long and short of it is that it's just basically kind of about that there are some people in this world that no matter what you do, nothing's ever good enough for them. And I know that's a very generic, broad topic, but this is, you know, I don't want to get too specific with some of these things. Um, yeah, Eric was younger and also had something to prove. And, you know, whenever you're a teenager, you just feel like you got to prove everything. So... Yeah, basically the long and short is, you know, that some people are difficult and no matter what you do, you're never going to please them. Which, again, most of these songs are pretty self-explanatory and not too deep. Why is my life filled with hatred and despise? They say that everything's alright and things are going fine, but the joy disappears and it's So the third track on the record is a track called Brooks. And Brooks is about, or influenced by, rather, uh, 1920s actress Louise Brooks, who I have an infatuation with. I think she's an amazing person, and uh, she, she influenced a lot of the things I did during this period of time. Um, one of the things that I wanted to do was put her picture on the album cover, and there exists forms of the album cover that are just like six pictures of her. It's a weird album cover, admittedly, but I really liked her, and I was, like, into the 20s at the time. I was into flappers at the time. I thought it was really cool, and so I eventually found out about Louise Brooks, and so I, I learned that she was kind of an anti-star, that she she kind of went against the grain of Hollywood, and, and she got, you know, for, for lack of a better word, a little bitter about everything, and I guess I kind of related to that at the time, just, like, being bitter, and I was a teenager, and I was like, well, hell yeah, stick it to the man, you know, so... Brooks is about that. It's about uh, getting sick of getting sick of the man. And uh, <laughs> that sounds so stupid, but it, that's true. Um, it's it's trying to trying to explain her point of view during that whole thing. And, and yeah, I'm putting words into her mouth uh, at this point. But you know what I mean? Like I was trying to understand it from her point of view and trying to, to write differently at the time. Anything that I thought was, you know maybe just a different approach uh, I felt really would would add to to the record. And uh, it, it features the mandolin during the chorus. Uh, I, I've used a Casio keyboard on it. Um, I, I, I think it was... 
it was one of the first times I'd ever used a B7 chord, I believe. Uh, my fiance Bobby did the backing vocals, and I thought she did an amazing job on the track. And she also helped me with a little bit of the lyrics, like here and there when I needed a, I needed a little bit of a rhyme or something. She actually helped me actively to, to write it. Um, but yeah, so this song was was basically an homage to Louise Brooks, and so is my character Melody that I created, um, which was also, that was created during this time. Um, Beatbot, uh, my character Beatbot was also created during this time. So in the three years or so that I, I took to make this record, I also had a lot of other creative ideas, but that's for another episode now, isn't it? Say what I want to say, I know things are alright Every day and every night The next track on the record is called Relief, uh, which again is a track that I'm particularly fond of. I wrote it uh, on a guitar that was tuned down a whole step, and it's a a tradition that I use to this day. Uh, I, I... really liked the sound of it. I listened to the Drive-By Truckers in specific uh, that that had that tuned down sound, and I just found that it matches my voice. My voice is a little lower uh, naturally, and I it, 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 it makes things a lot easier on my voice, and it gives it a different sound too, and so I, I changed tuning a lot on all of my tracks, but this was the first one that I'd ever tried that and attempted it with. Again, uh, trying the whole make this one stand out. I, I tried a lot of tricks that I had in my in my pockets uh, for this record, but this song in particular was special because I wrote it about a kid. Uh, when I was a senior in high school, I was an aide for my first grade teacher, which was really cool because I got to go back to the first grade when I was a senior in high school every morning and it was such a great way to relax and to like get ready for the rest of the day because all I had to worry about was grading if a kid could write an A right or not and <laughs> you know the things were a lot simpler and it was really nice to go from this you know hectic senior year of high school where everything was moving so quickly and you went and you just calm morning get your milk orders in so you get the milk in the morning and uh, all the kids just get out your reading you know what i mean like it it felt really cool but there was a particular kid uh that i i they had me work with a lot and this kid was special needs I'm, I'm not exactly sure you know what was going on but uh i'm no expert but he definitely had something going on he was special needs and uh i cannot remember his name right now and it's that's killing me but uh I don't want to expo- expose him anyway, but they had me work outside with him outside of the classroom because he was very disruptive and sometimes he would just yell if he got angry or, you know, he would just let loose and he wouldn't do his work. And the only way he'd do his work is if he went out with me to the, to the hallway and it was one on one. He did very well with one on one and he would mind me and I, I that was the first time I'd ever really worked with kids. You know, I was the youngest uh, in my family. And so I didn't really know how to talk to kids. And so it was a learning experience, not only for him, but for me. And the one thing that stuck out to me was that this kid was incredibly gifted in terms of intelligence. This kid would rattle off facts about the solar system and specifically also jellyfish for some reason. He was obsessed with jellyfish. And he would rattle them off to me just just boom, boom, boom. And like, he was just so, so intelligent. And I was blown away and I told him that. I was like, where did you learn that? And he goes, I, I just read about it at home. 
And I'm like, holy crap, this kid's in first grade and he knew more about anything than the rest of the kids in the class. And um, he was extremely impressive to me. And I wrote this song about the kid and, and tried to imagine what it must be like for him. Like, I can only imagine, again, this is kind of a juvenile subject, I suppose, but like, I tried to write it from his perspective, just like I wrote Brooks from the possibility of, of you know, what what Louise Brooks was thinking. So, yeah, I think his name was, I think his name was Josh. That just came to me. Anyway. But he was a really good kid, and so this song was written from that perspective of, I'm not sure what, what he was going through, but he must have felt misunderstood and kind of alienated, and I felt like that would be a, a wild theme to try and convey through music. So I wrote this song in uh, economics class when I should have been doing homework, and the great thing about that is if you put your book up and you're writing something, they don't have to know that you're writing songs. So I did that quite often my senior year of high school. So that's relief. Just call on me Cause I'm a chemical man The next song on the record is uh, a more of an electric tune, Chemical Man. This song was written uh, because my girlfriend at the time, now fiancé, uh, needed a track for a chemistry safety video in her, believe it or not, chemistry class. And I wrote this in like <laughs> 30 minutes and I I just had fun making it. I, I wanted to just kind of experiment and the drums are, are, are pretty real sounding because they're a loop. But I remembered thinking that that was like, oh man, that's what it could sound like. You know, this is what I could be. And a lot of people liked it, and uh, the teacher was blown away. He was like, that's Eric? And it was, you know, I had him as a chemistry teacher, too. And so I think it was a hit. But Chemical Man isn't too deep. Uh, definitely some, uh, some, some, some drug references, maybe. <laughs> I actually wasn't. Just about chemicals. The next track on the record is called I Love You, and that's pretty straightforward. Again, not too deep on this song. Uh, I will say that uh, it was originally called Francois. Uh, the piano was done on the Casio LK94 TV, which is uh, a keyboard I used profusely on the people we know. And the backing part of this was done on the aforementioned Yamaha PSS 470. Uh, and and I, I liked the sound of it. It sounded different, and I just thought it was cool. And it was one of the first times I'd really tried to meld that specific Yamaha sound with an acoustic guitar, and I, I liked the sound of it, and I think this track in particular kind of paved the way for the way I wanted to make music. Again, sort of like the rest of the record did, but I believe that this one is kind of a standout in that style that I was eventually trying to, to get to. Um, people like this live. It's not complicated. It's I used to say that it was the most uncomplicated love song you've ever heard. And literally, it's called I Love You. So it's just a love song, plain and simple. Not much else to say about that. You can crush me, me into what you want. You're So the next track on the record is Like You, and Like You is an extremely personal song. 
I I don't want to get into exactly what it was about, but it's another bitter one. It's another personal one. And I was extremely proud of this one as well. I, I actually, as a, as a record, I keep on saying, I was proud of this one. I was proud. But I actually was very proud of what I was able to accomplish for a second record. And uh, this was definitely one of the, the ones that I liked. And Like You was a late addition to the record. This was one that I had done, like, really close to whenever I released the record. So it, it's even more maybe so what you would call polished than the rest of them because I, I, I had been through all of the rest of those songs I tried to write before I settled on Like You. So Like You, again, uses the finger picking, and uh, I love the backing vocals on it. I can't hit those notes anymore for damn sure. Uh, they're a little too high for me, but I really love the delicate sound of it, and I, I love... I love the lyrics in this song. I, I believe that even though it's a bitter song, I, I think I wrote it with a clarity and a vision that most of my songs at the time didn't really have. And it was actually it's actually fairly deep for me uh, when I wrote it. And uh, yeah, so Like You is definitely one of my favorites. And um, still to this day, I'll, I'll play it and love playing it. track on the record and this was really really strange um the sound of it's strange it went on a little too long i i I really was using some wild effects on it uh that that i had never used in my life uh again very proud of this but it was written about a very strange thing which is to say robbie rotten uh robbie rotten is a villain from a tv show for kids named lazy town and i caught it some days when i had to stay homesick from school and uh i i thought it was actually really well done albeit very freaking weird and i loved the the villain i loved robbie rotten and he's become like an internet meme now if you if you search him he's the the we are number one the villain number one thing uh he was so like the internet just ate that up and it was like you know what dude i i knew it was cool back in like 20 to 2008 so you know, where's the where's the love for old ET here? You know, I, I I knew what he was I knew he was cool. So you know, you gotta give me some credit for that. But that that's honest to God what it was about. And uh, like I said, it was it's one of the longest songs I ever wrote. I, I don't like long songs, uh, but uh, I used uh, a Yamaha PSS one forty evidently for the the synth, uh, from what I can tell. And uh, it's it, it's really it's just an odd song. <laughs> I don't play it live very often, uh, and when I do, uh, I, I change it up a little bit and try to make it a little more acoustic and a little more s- sensual, a little bit more sensual. Let's, let's take it down a notch. And uh, I, the only thing I don't really like is uh, the, the glockenspiel noises at the end. It was too harsh, and I didn't know what I was doing. So a lot of the times on these old records, like I would clip the audio and not know what the hell clipping was. And that's why it sounds so damn harsh. And uh, yeah, so this, this one had a lot of clipping in it and uh, you could, you can tell, but uh, again, very proud of it. And uh, here's to use to fun. And 
The final track is the title track, Time Keeps Moving On. And this is another song about the 20s, um, and specifically that time period, and, and, and more specifically going going on down the road a little bit, uh, the Great Depression, which, uh, again, it's, it's a little bit of a juvenile take on it, but I, I imagine just a family man going to work and just trying to make things work. And, uh, yeah, it's, it was, I wrote this song before me and my brother went to see Todd Snyder, uh, singer-songwriter Todd Snyder in, in a local city, and, uh, I, I, it was a day that I had a gigantic panic attack, which, uh, I used to have a lot, so that is always a negative memory I have with this, this actual specific song, but, um, this, it was a very early track that I wrote, and I wrote it again on, on my brother's computer, which is in, uh, which was in the room that I'm, I'm recording in now, but, uh, yeah, the, the, the studio version, uh, I have a capo on the eighth fret. It was really, really high up. And, um, yeah, I, I was, I was very proud of this song too. Um, I, I, overall, I think this entire record was pretty damned good looking back on it. And I think that the things I did to make it different from the people we know, it, it, I think it worked. I think I achieved my end goal and people were impressed by it. I got more attention from people around me and they were like, wow, you're, you're really all over the place. You know, people would say that to me and, and I still am like they, they I, I guess they meant it as a compliment. <laughs> but what they meant was, is that like I changed style so frequently on a record, which is something I've worked on over the years, trying to kind of hone it in while maintaining that spontaneity that I actually like on records. I like to do that. Uh, mostly because I think it's just more interesting that way. If, if you show people you can do different styles, uh, then there's something for everybody. But I don't know. You know, you know how it goes. You know how it goes. But yeah, it, time keeps moving on. I, the, the whole record, I believe, was, was good. I, I think it was, the writing was improved. And, and overall, I, I think I just did a better job if I could, you know, be tooting my own horn here. And um, if I'm looking at it as an adult and looking at it like 12, 13 years later, um, yeah, I, I think I did pretty good. And like I said, uh, all those lost records that were from all the different takes leading up to the release of this, uh, they'll, they'll see the light of day. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's all I got to say. But um, yeah, so... Uh, I, I guess I should mention that uh, for those of you who, who who made it this far, thanks. And uh, thanks again for listening to me drone on about my own fucking projects. But uh, last but not least, I, I, I do want to say that uh, all of these records that we're talking about uh, on the podcast can be found in their entirety uh, that you can stream or buy or whatever on Bandcamp at erictylermusic.bandcamp.com. E-R-I-C. T-Y-L-E-R-M-U-S-I-C dot bandcamp dot com. And uh, you can you can hear and listen along and 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 and, and get the book and oh yeah the the, the compendium's coming out soon too which which basically has uh, all the lyrics uh, most of the art that I drew during the time periods and it's all it's all chapter based and each chapter is a a record and oh it's it's pretty cool I spent a lot of time on it and it's a free download uh, so you you really can't go wrong so anyway I have been Eric Tyler you have listened to nothing but the truth. The sort of self-satisfying podcast that I made. 
And if you want to laugh, well, how about you check out our other podcast we do called Super Fun Meal. I do it with my brother, Adam, and we always have a good time where we just talk about life, brotherhood, and pop culture sometimes. And we just have a good laugh. We we take about three or four things that everybody can relate to. We talk about it. We have some laughs, and uh, it's always a great time, and I am very proud of it. So until next time, peeps, I swear to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. This has been a Zosimos production. Follow us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, yeah.